Welcome to Tell Me More. I'm Luke Steer, filling in for Katie Reed Hodges. And Dr. Wiles and I have a conversation about Zachariah's song and what it looks like to live a life steeped in scripture that shapes the meta-narrative you're living. And we hope that you enjoy this conversation and it challenges you to think more deeply about the way that scripture is informing your life. We hope you'll enjoy. Welcome to Tell Me More. Uh, we're here this week. Uh, Dr. Wiles and I have already been talking about Sunday and just what a sweet day it was. Oh my goodness. Wasn't it? I mean, Nanette Johnson, seriously. Man, awesome. I mean, I don't know very many people who can think about her leaving without tearing up. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, sweet day, sweet, uh, sweet send off for Nanette it was. and Jay. And yeah, yeah, we're grateful for what they've done. And really well, are. You're, you're a preschool dad so you know you've, you've been the beneficiary at least for a few yes. months of oh my goodness in work so um yeah i'm a i'm a granddad who has had the uh, benefit of nanette um you know for for about 15 years we've had preschoolers mm. connected to nanette so yeah we've we've been blessed so she may not be listening today but we love you nanette oh and, my goodness uh, <laughs> we do i think anyone who's been touched by her ministry is a better parent or a better grandparent no doubt no and, and then Aaron Toms, who'll just write a hymn or an anthem if you don't have one. And there you have it. I would like my own personal hymns, <laughs> <Exactly>. Aaron, <laughs> if you're listening. <laughs> um, and it just captures, you know, the 150th anniversary. I wanted something with Jesus way. And that was before you got here, Luke. But he, so Aaron just said, I can't find anything. If it's okay with you, I've just written an anthem, you know, that just captures the teachings that are embodied in our understanding of glorifying God by following the Jesus way. And I was like, oh, you could just do that. You we just, just have casual people here. <laughs> right. Marginally talented. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then to take Nanette's core teachings for preschoolers to build that foundation in their life that God made me, God loves me, God is my friend. And then for Aaron to just turn that into music and teach all the Psalm 1 kids how to sing it. Yeah. It was beautiful. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Beautiful. Sweet Sunday. day. Sweet day. Plus, it's Christmas. It is. <laughs> you know, I thought about this yesterday while you were preaching, so if you'll excuse the very bad joke that follows. <laughs> I didn't realize that the Gospel of Luke was a musical until yesterday, but, you know, in the first chapter or two, you have people just breaking out into song. That's right. <laughs> that is right. <laughs> I told you it was a bad joke. <laughs> and so you, you, well, the thing is, and, and, and with your, it's your namesake, so surely you get a little bit of that in you, but uh, yeah. I'm not going to um, break out into song on this podcast today. <laughs> Oh, maybe you're right. Yes, Cindy, Cindy. Here's what's funny. Cindy, my wife, she's been teaching Sunday school for a long time, or Bible studies, we call it here. I still call it Sunday school, but Bible study. And uh, <clears throat> so um, we didn't even talk about it. She had no idea what I was doing for Advent, and she's just doing her own thing. And so um, we're, we're riding in the car one day, and she said, um, you know, I hadn't even looked at what you're doing for Advent. And this was the week of Advent's about to start. I said, no, well, it's all good. And uh, she said, I've decided I'm going to just lose, use Luke's gospel, kind of focus on the songs of Advent. She said, I got to thinking about what are my favorite Christmas songs? And she said, well, how about the song of Mary? How about the song of Luke? And how about the whole story of Zechariah and Elizabeth? So she goes in this long thing. She said, so what are you, what are you going to be preaching on? And I was like, actually, um, all it's of that. It's like you guys have been married for <laughs> a little right. while. So, but yeah, it's a, it's what a great first, what a great first two pages, right? Oh, it's and, powerful yeah, stuff. It's really good. 
And so you preached Zachariah's song, which mm-hmm. is known as the Benedictus. Mm-hmm. Uh, we worked our way through that, and there's just so many mm-hmm. rich things. Mm-hmm. And I've, as I was listening to you preach, mm-hmm. wrote down several of those words that just stand out. And it's mm-hmm. salvation, it's mercy, remember, oath, rescue, mm-hmm. fearless, and this path of peace. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just so mm-hmm. much rich poetic language that both foretells what John the Baptist is going to do, but also just harkens back to the hope of the Old Testament. Um, I was wondering if you could talk more about how this draws on those Old Testament ideas, because I think sometimes we have a hard time connecting what's happened in the prophets, because sometimes we're not always great at reading the prophets and understanding what happens in them, to what's happening in Zechariah's song. Well, you know, I, I think I would say two things. One, a more personal word, you know, um, I I love expression. You know the the freedom to express yourself in 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 ways that are meaningful. So, for example, Cindy, um, she's a natural musician. She has perfect pitch. I think is what they call it. You know, I'm I'm not a musician, so you know it's it's not my world. But Cindy was reared in a home where music was very important. Her father played the bass, and her sister was a child prodigy. Her old, her, she has a sister. Cindy's the youngest in her family, but the sister just next to Cindy was one of those girls that was the church pianist when she was 12 years old or the church wow. organist, you know. And, and not only that, she was writing her own, you know, she can transpose music. She can just, you know, sight read. She could just play and, and would write her own music. Well, Cindy was more of a um, – Cindy can read music. And Cindy's been classically trained. Uh, and so she did all that, but she kind of just plays also by ear and with a lot of emotion. And so I can remember, we've always, we, right now we don't have one, but we historically have had a piano in our home. And, uh, and sometimes, you know, I would come home from work and Cindy's at the piano playing and, and she plays with a lot of emotion. And, um, and I've always envied that because mm-hmm. I would love to be able to just sit down at a piano and just play. I love that expression. But the problem is I never had the discipline. You know what I mean? I don't I never learned how to do it. I didn't put the hard time in, the hard work in. Whereas Cindy, even though Cindy would tell you she's not a pianist, she would never play in front of you. But I've heard her, I know how she can do it when she's in the right mood and wants mm-hmm. to do it. And even when I watch people at my church, you know, people like Emily Klophouse or you know, Aaron Toms on the piano or Catherine or Kay Owens, you know what I mean? They, you, you, sometimes you can just go by there and they're rehearsing or whatever and they're just playing and there's just so much. Oh, it's incredible. Oh, I love it. So I look at Zechariah's song. So here's this older man and he didn't just come up with all of this in the moment when John was born. This is all in Jeremiah. I mean, in Zechariah rather. So in other words, he's read Jeremiah. He He's read Micah. Um, he's read Zechariah. I'm sure he has. I'm sure. Um, he has studied, and he's he's a priest, obviously, and so he he has taken these stories of the Old Testament, these prophetic images, and um, and all of that is in him. And to me, it says a word to us about um, what we should be ingesting and how we should be investing our time, because if we want to be able to respond in these grand moments of our lives in a way that we can express what needs to be expressed in a way that's truly meaningful and gives us an ability to 
uh, to, to, to have spiritual growth from it. Well, <laughs> we've got to put in the discipline and the time and to really understand it all so that it's inside of us. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, yes. I mean, like, so for example, somebody can uh, walk up to me in, in the mall and I'll have an Auburn shirt on and they can say, hey, um, what do you think about Auburn right now? Boom. I'm like, well, you know, here's what, here's what I say. You know, no, we don't have Bo Jackson anymore. And I mean, this, we don't have Cam Newton. Isn't the, All that's in me because I love Auburn. I've loved Auburn football my whole life. And I can just drop of a hat, mm. you know. Remember when Suge Jordan was our coach? Of course I remember when Suge Jordan was. I mean, okay. Well, Zechariah, the Old Testament stories. Um this this movement of God, the stewardship of the promise of God throughout history through the people of God, that's all inside of Zechariah. Yeah. And and all of a sudden he comes to this moment and it's almost like when Peter stands up at Pentecost and goes, I know what this is. This is Joel. This is what we're we're watching a moment in history. Zechariah is like, Oh my goodness, you know what this is? This is this is the moment we've been waiting for. God has finally spoken after all these years, and we're in it. And so all of a sudden, all that imagery, like you said, that's been woven through the the prophetic pronouncements and the story of Israel just comes out in this song. And one of the reasons I love it, um, Luke, is because I think what happens to us, particularly as Protestants, um, it, uh, is that we we start in Genesis— and we get the creation story, you know, the fall of humanity. And then we skip the entire Old Testament and go straight <laughs> to Jesus. And it's like when you do that, you rob Jesus, in my opinion, in the understanding of the ministry of Jesus, of this, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of revelation from God and the lessons we all learn, and the stories, and the prophetic images. When why why would why would anybody call Jesus Son of Man and think it makes sense if you haven't read the Old Testament or Son of David? What difference is our Horn of Salvation, or God remembers His covenant? He remembers His oath that He swore to Abraham. Well, if you don't, if you haven't spent the time to just study the history of Israel and realize that that's our story. You know, we're 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 not just this Johnny come lately. You know, we, this is our story. The God of the Bible is the God of Israel. Right. That's our God. You know, and so the the fact that Zechariah could just now I have no idea how this happened. You know, did he write this down? Or he just... did have nine months to think about what he was going to say. <laughs> That's right. He's been thinking for a long time, and I think I think he's had time to reflect theologically, not just as a dad. Obviously, as a dad huge moment but he's more than a father here you know he's a he's he's somewhat of a prophet and priest here at the same time as as I look at him and I really didn't go into that Sunday morning just you know didn't feel like I had time to do it all but um, maybe I need to go back and unpack that a little bit for my church to to just say this man was ready for this moment he was you know and so I think the question is are you ready for your moments you know because if not you could miss them in other words this could have happened to Zechariah and him not even realize what it was all about. Yeah. They could have just had a baby, you know. But no, I believe God chose him for a reason. This is a man who understood they were waiting for the Messiah. They were waiting for this anointed one. And they knew there was going to be a forerunner. He, he knew there was, he had read Isaiah. There was going to be this voice crying in the wilderness. 
coming in the spirit of Elijah and the fact that he's chosen for that. I mean, my goodness, it's pretty overwhelming, I think, for him. But I love, you're right, the imagery that's here, you, you know, you have to hear the words of, 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 um, of the prophets, but also the narrative. You've got to be connected to the story of Israel, the disappointments, the, just the incredible uh, experiences of revival. The other day, we were getting out our Christmas decorations, and um, um, we had this, this um, nutcracker of Moses. It's one of my favorite things we have. And it's a big, tall one. We have to put it up right now because our little granddaughter Adler is scared of him. So we have to <laughs> we have to kind of hide him right now. And, uh, I think the Israelites were scared of him once. That's too, right. So. Well, he's about to her size, you know. And so it's like, <laughs> what is this? And we keep telling her, Adler, it's Moses. Well, you know that means nothing. So, but he has this he has this um, staff and a rod in his hand. But he's holding the Ten Commandments. Well, this year. We're getting it unpacked to get it all out. And sometimes we can't find everything. Well, we couldn't find the Ten Commandments. So Ada is our other granddaughter who's eight is there, and we're talking. And, um, and so <laughs> I said, you know what, Ada, we need to get Josiah uh, to help us. And she was like, what do you mean, Poppy? And I said, we need Josiah to help us find the book of the law. We cannot find the book of the law. Well, she looked at me like, well, why would Josiah know where it is? I said, because Josiah found it. So that led us this whole story in the Old Testament of Josiah and then finding the book of the law and this whole revival, <laughs> and uh, which piqued her interest. But but I love the fact that Zechariah had those stories in him, mm-hmm. and he didn't skip from the fall to where he was. There was a whole lot of history there that's woven into his understanding of what God's doing. And that that's a good word to us, Luke. That, the meta-narrative, if you want to think about it that way, of just God's great salvation plan and God's actions in history, in order to truly appreciate it, we have to live the history of Israel. We just do. And so that's why I think the Old Testament, I'll never forget my my Old Testament professor at Southwestern Seminary, his name was David Garland. We call him the real David Garland because of Dr. Garland Truitt. And, uh, so, say, David Garland. Yeah, that's right. You had a different one. But they knew each other. But uh, Dr. Garland at Southwestern, he, um, in our Old Testament class, we would go on, you know, it was like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays if I remember correctly. Anyway, it was a three-hour class. We went three days a week. But the last 30 minutes of the last class every week, he preached a sermon from the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. He didn't just teach. In other words, he would always preach. And what he told us was, he said, this is my fear. He said, I'm going to do this the whole semester. Actually, it was a whole year. It was a a year long. He said, I'm going to do this the entire year because what I'm afraid of is that many of you don't know your Old Testament and you don't know how to preach from it. And what I want to continue to say to you is the Old Testament is the Word of God. It is the Bible Jesus used. So if it was good enough for Jesus, it needs to be good enough for you, even though I believe in progressive revelation, he would tell us. And then, you know, Luke, every week, I still have my notes. He'd preach a sermon from the Old Testament. And, um, and it just challenged me. I need, to, I need to know this. My very first day at Southwestern Seminary, very first class, biblical backgrounds. Um, <clears throat> and I'd grown up in the church. But I'd spent my college career in chemistry, biology, medical psychology. I was going to go to med school. So, you know, but, but, I, but, I, but I, you know, I was a church boy. So um, first day, biblical backgrounds, our professor said, very first day, he said, I want you to get out just a blank piece of paper, okay? He says, now I want you to write the last 12 books of the Old Testament in order. <laughs> okay? So um, I number one through 12. I write Malachi, 
Okay. I know give me. I know Malachi. Okay. And I'm embarrassed to tell you that I got most of them, but not in order. You know? And, you could have uh, been a smart aleck and gone for writing Chronicles last. And that's right. I'm, I I'm writing said, the Jewish word. Yeah, that's right. I could have done that. But at that time, I didn't know that. <laughs> and uh, and so I'll never forget that feeling I had that I thought, man, I, I know my Bible. I'm good. I mean, I, I'm sure seminary is going to help me. But, you know, I'm, I was raised in the church. Dude, I could not list the minor prophets, as we call them, in order. And, uh, and I'll never forget that. And then I ended up taking Dr. Garland. So <clears throat> for me— it's challenged me to remind myself this story of Israel is our story, it and is. it's important. And if I want to be able to respond, even to understand what Christmas is about, these images in this song help contextualize what it is we're even celebrating. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, great, it's a great word. And I'm proud of Zechariah, you know, for having that in him, you know. Um, I, I believe Mary had that, some of that in her, that she knew that this was the fulfillment of the ages. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know? Which is incredible because Mary would not have had the formal biblical education right. that Zechariah would have had. Right. But it still just falls mm-hmm. out of her mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful. And it's a good word to us when you think about pedagogy, about instructing. I mean, we just celebrated Nanette. Well, we start teaching children here in the bed baby nursery. <laughs> God made you, God loves you, God is your friend. That's right. And we start building into their lives that you're unique, you're special. God made you just like you are. And he and he loves you, you know, and um and so and you can trust him. He's your friend. And take that all the way through the children's ministry and the youth ministry. And it's important to build these truths and have these stories woven into the fabric of our lives because it shows us how God intersects history. And um so that, you know, that's a, that's a whole other sermon, maybe. <laughs> put that one, put that one in the folder for it. another time. I got it. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, I think, um, it's awesome. You've talked about meta narratives, and I think mm-hmm. when we think about the meta narrative that Zechariah would have lived in, and that all Jewish people at this time lived in, I would call it an apocalyptic mm-hmm. meta narrative, and I don't mean into it. the world, right? But apocalypse in the biblical sense literally just means unveiling, and I think. The Jewish mind at this time in history would have understood that underneath the present visible layers of reality, <laughs> right. God pulls back the. I just banged my microphone. Yes, yeah. God pulls back the curtain mm-hmm. and shows what's really happening. That's mm-hmm. what's happening in the prophets, and mm-hmm. I think it's what happens in Zechariah's song. It's God mm-hmm. is pulling back the curtain on mm-hmm. history and saying, "This is what's really going mm-hmm. on," mm-hmm. and that's what Zechariah is mm-hmm. speaking and telling us. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something to be said for us to think about what it looks like for us to live into that apocalyptic meta narrative mm-hmm. that God is really at work and he can, through scripture, mm-hmm. pull back the curtain and show us what's really going on mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you look at our world today, and you and I were talking about this before we went on air here. What's, what are the meta narratives of today? You know, that was the question you asked me um, before we went on here. Um, what, a, what a great question because, you, you know, I'm watching my world and I ask myself, so what is Putin's meta narrative? What, what is it just um, he just wants to be personally powerful and, <laughs> you know, maybe, I don't know. But I do think he's surrounded by people who have a certain view of who Russia is mm-hmm. you know, and what and what Russia should be. 
and that it's only right now somewhat of a shadow of what it used to be. I can only sense that meta narrative is driving. Why? Why would you invade the Ukraine? You know, um, what's next in that meta narrative, or or even China? You know, politically, what's the meta narrative of Beijing? And even right now, Luke, you think about India growing in its incredible influence around the world and becoming the largest, most populated nation in the world, and the advancements in technology. Um, what is the meta narrative? You know, that's driven by a Hindu worldview. If you think about it, primarily, mm. at least from a from a religious perspective. You know, I know it's a secular state, but you know what I mean. It is. It is. There are mil- millions of Hindus <laughs> in India. Um, what is that meta narrative? And and then the political overtones of meta narratives that we're experiencing today. But then I look at Christianity, and it's fascinating to me that I'm I'm living in an era where. Um, and you would know this better than I, I'm sure, just missiologically. But think about where do all the Christians live? Th- think about how you maybe you have, I don't know, a quarter of them in the West. I don't know. You I think know. slightly less than that, but yeah. yeah. Maybe a little less than that. But then you think about the Southern Hemisphere, how Christianity is beginning to dominate in the East, how Christianity is flourishing once again. It's like you look at these quadrants of the world and Christianity is finding its way and is and is in uh, it is leading people to adopt a Christian meta narrative in parts of the world today that over the next fifty years are going to be incredibly influential, <laughs> right? You know, in the history of the world as a whole, and that's fascinating to me because um, we may no longer be at the center of that. If you think about that, you know, from a from a Christian perspective, but the meta narrative continues, and it's and it becomes a prevailing worldview, and it comes right up against the Islamic. Um, uh, phenomenon, you know, and those are very conflicting worldviews. Those are two different meta narratives, and that you look at how um, how that's setting the world up for some very interesting collisions. Absolutely, you know, the Hindu perspective with these millions and what is it, a billion people now in India? Okay, think about that meta narrative. Another what? How many billion in China? I've forgotten. Whatever, almost a billion, whatever in China. So you got these two billion people with a complete one almost completely secular worldview, another one a very religious worldview, and you got the whole southern hemisphere that's becoming Christian as you and I are sitting here. So there's this massive um, overrun or overlay of Christianity across the southern hemisphere, and then you've got the Islamic growth in parts of the world. And so there are some, there are some shifts that are occurring right now, in my opinion, that are setting us up for some very interesting um, religious I don't mean conflict necessarily militarily. I just mean in the in the whole marketplace of ideas, and how you view the world, and how you how you live, and how you engage economically, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's a it's an interesting time in history. It is. You know? I mean, it truly is. I um, think just to illustrate that. I mean, I was listening to Christmas music the other day, and the song "Do They Know It's Christmas in Africa" came up. <laughs> and if you don't know about the religious landscape of Africa, <laughs> right. most of sub-Saharan, so south of the Sahara Desert, yeah. is Christian. That's right. There are more Anglicans in Nigeria on a given Sunday than there are in all of the UK. Right. I mean, so obviously <laughs> they know it's Christmas in Africa. Right. They're more Christian right. than we are. I was about to say, you have Augustine, one of the fathers of the churches in Africa. Right. <laughs> so I think they do know it. They actually told us about it. They did. <laughs> but I mean, the fact that that song mm-hmm. exists, but you mm-hmm. couldn't even write that song in any, I don't know that they wrote it in a clear way then. Right. But. 
It doesn't make any sense to even ask that question. Mm-hmm. Right. And that, to me, that begs the question then, okay, so Zechariah is ready for his moment. He's, he's, he's up to date. He's, he's paid attention. He has studied. So what about us? You know, are we ready for this moment? You know, do we have enough um, biblical uh, foundation and theological reflection? That's on us, I think, as church leaders to help our people grapple with these things mm-hmm. so that we can live in a moment, you know, and and I think we we um, we have to be thoughtful about how we engage that personally because it's so easy to just always pass everything off. You know, this is the government's job or this is somebody else's role, et cetera, et cetera. When actually it's incumbent on me to take some of this in under, under my wing, you know, this is my role that I play here, whether it's personally or professionally, you know, and so I feel this next year, you know, kind of a good segue to 2023. One of the reasons I think I felt compelled when I was away from y'all back in July um, was, well, was I away from you yet? Were you here yet? I, I was here. Was I already away from you? Okay, I couldn't remember. Okay, when you got here. Okay. We had about two weeks together. <laughs> okay, all right. That's true. <laughs> I remember that now. Um, so I'll put you in that group. When I was away from y'all um, in July, um, you know, just praying. It had been building anyway. It wasn't just in July. It was already, the, the seeds had already been sown. But I just began to just ask the Lord, what is it that our people need? We're living in a very interesting, challenging, exciting, opportunistic time. And I just felt compelled and drawn to this whole idea of apologetics and evangelism, the whole idea of defense and appeal. Defense may not be the right word to use because it feels a little pejorative almost to defend the faith. but It doesn't but, really need our defense. Right, you know, to represent it. And then to make an appeal, which is what I think Peter is really saying. Well, to me, that's apologetics and evangelism. And so I felt compelled to spend this whole next year gathered around those major two themes of helping us understand our faith so we can represent it and then offer an appeal to a, to a culture that needs it. And, um, and so in order to live in that moment, well... <laughs> We're going to have to grapple with with. It's hard for me to represent something I believe if I've never really thought about what I believe. Mm. You know, that's very true. Yeah, and so that's why I'm proud of Zechariah. He could he could express for him to have John the Baptist, you know, as his son of all people. I read this song and I think, okay, you're, dude, you're the man. <laughs> yeah, you, you knew. You know, no wonder God chose you. There could have been, a, I'm sure there were many other Jewish men who could have played that role. But man, Zechariah seems uniquely suited for it, in my opinion. So, Yeah. I think about this idea of us knowing how to represent our faith. I taught theology at a Christian university that was about half Christian, and theology was a gen ed students could take. Mm-hmm. So I'd have Christians in my class, but my class was typically half not Christian. Mm-hmm. I did an oral final. It was always really interesting at the end of class. I could tell there were students who were Christian who had been raised in churches that had taught them well, mm-hmm. and they could think through the faith mm-hmm. and talk about it coherently, mm-hmm. and they always did well. Then I had students who had grown up in churches who had not taught them well, mm-hmm. and they weren't used to thinking through their faith or talking about it mm-hmm. or reasoning their way through it, mm-hmm. and they always did worse than my non-Christians. <laughs> my non-Christian students could articulate the Christian faith better than my Christian students who had grown up but not been taught well. Right. That's fascinating, isn't it? It is. So and we, I want our church to be able to reason and talk and right. think through their faith so mm-hmm. they can represent it in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that is a great challenge. 
And I think it's one of the reasons that God even brought you here, you know, is to help us to think about how we do that and then how we appeal. How do we make that appeal to a culture that, um, that you know, right now to me is open to just about anything. <laughs> and so Fair. I, I feel like the uh, that old joke about, you know, they sent the salesman to this island where nobody wore shoes, two salesmen selling shoes, and one of them said, hey— Bring me home. Nobody here wears shoes. And the other guy said, send me everything you got. Nobody has shoes. You know, So I'm that guy. I mean, looking at my culture and everybody's so freaked out about, can you believe what people believe now? And I'm like, great. They'll believe almost anything. Why don't we try the truth? Right. <laughs> you know? And so this could this could be our moment to to truly step into this space with a legitimate appeal to what really is true and authentic and a, a true meta narrative that we believe has been played out since the very beginning. But I've got to do my homework, you know, brother. I got to know. I mean, I, I need to be in good stead, and that's why I think the stories of the Old Testament um, and the way those stories are related to us, primarily in the Gospels as well. That's why we're going to use John as our guide this next year. Uh, we could have used Paul. My goodness, we're, we're Protestants. <laughs> we <laughs> love know? Paul. I mean, Paul is the man. Um, but we've done that so many times. You know what I mean? We need. To, I think we need a more narrative approach. And um, and that's why I settled on John. I think John tells an incredibly compelling story in a narrative form that is rich in theology and apologetics. And so, uh, hopefully, it'll it'll have an impact on our church. That's what I'm, I'm looking forward to. And it, and to me, it's the it's the true. It's a great segue this year from Christmas. You know, it's a it's a stepping into um, this new year with a true solid story uh, that's mm-hmm. given us footing here, you know, and well-researched, well-written in an orderly fashion by Luke, our, our, our man. Okay. And, uh, and then we'll let John help us think through that apologetically this next year. So really looking forward to that. I am too. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. That seems like a good place for us to end. Sounds good to me. excitement for next year. <laughs> that's right. And, so, and Merry Christmas, and everybody. Merry Christmas. Yes, yes, absolutely. We're so glad you've joined us through Tell Me More and we'll have more for you. Um, uh, But thanks for being with us. 